How's everyone doing today? I will explain in a few moments why I chose to sing that song for you all this morning. There's a method to my madness, I will say. But before we do that, let's uh, go ahead and pray. Father God, we just, uh, we just lift up this time to you. We ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to your word. That you would help me as a weak and broken vessel to uh, just use me, Lord. Help me to explain well this passage, to encourage and challenge the people here, to challenge and encourage myself in you. And we just lift this time up to you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I am a... I love music. I... Uh, I, I, I grew up, my dad was in like a little cover rock blues band. He would rock on the guitar and uh, play bar shows. Growing up, I'd go to him all the time. I, I grew up listening to a lot of Leonard Skinner, Allman Brothers, Molly Hatchet. All the good stuff, right? Yeah. And, and so I just, I grew up having a great appreciation uh, for music. And um, there are certain songs over time, and I think most of you all will agree that like as you grow up, and as you get older and, and as you go through like your childhood and you go into adulthood and there's certain songs that kind of just that click with you, right? You, you, you think about them or you hear them on the radio and it just kind of brings you back to a different place or it encourages you and inspires you in some way. Um, when I was a kid, the song for me that did that, and this is going to sound odd, but just roll with it. It was Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Yes, I'm not joking. It was Freebird. Great song. And I, the song itself isn't probably the most inspirational because it's essentially about a dude saying, hey, girl, I'm leaving you because I'm a free bird. Lord knows I can't change. Right? So lyrically, it's not the most inspirational song at all. Uh, but the song itself just brought back a lot of memories for me. It just reminded me of my dad. It reminded me of when I was eight, and he actually took me to a Leonard Skinner conference, uh, concert. It was awesome. I just imagine me as an eight-year-old boy, front row, center, screaming free bird the whole time. That's what happened. Um, and, and so some songs are the type of songs that, like, you hear, and they may not be the best songs, but they still kind of just light something up in you, right? They get you going. They get you moving. Uh, maybe you guys listen to music while you work out, if you work out, if you're into that. Uh, I know I do, and I love listening to, like, metal. I'll be straight with you. I love listening to metal while I'm, I'm running. It just gets me pumped up and ready to go. And so some songs do that, and, and then there's other songs, like, for instance, the song I just sang for you. Uh, that song, again, was called It's Not Enough by Dustin Kendrew. And this is the type of song that not only, like, uh, inspired and challenged me, but it also portrays really heavy truths, really heavy truths that sometimes we don't grapple with unless we first hear a song like that that kind of puts it in our head and makes us think. And essentially the premise of the song is, no matter what I have, if I had all the riches of the world, if I had man's wealth at my disposal, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't fulfill me. If I had, you know, if my kids screamed my praises and never disagreed with me, if my wife was the perfect love always by my side, if, um, I mean, and even at the end he goes to the utmost extreme and he says, if every person in the world were to bow before me and I was the ultimate power, and everyone worshipped me, it wouldn't be enough. 
it wouldn't be enough. And so you have songs like that that help you grapple with those kind of truths that are kind of hard to grapple with. You're like, wow, it wouldn't really be enough because we know at the end of the day only the Lord himself can fill that void in us and actually be enough, right? And so this morning, I'm going to be jumping into a psalm. And uh, I'm going to be jumping into Psalm 131. Uh, and before we dive actually into it, um, just give you a little context because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm technically still a student trying to get my bachelor's degree. And I'm learning right now that when you study the Bible, when you preach the Bible, when you understand the Bible, the first three rules of properly understanding the Bible are context, context, and context. Very important to get the context. And so uh, as we're looking at the book of Psalms, um, the book of Psalms is obviously a very big book. Uh, but it's also broken up into other little books as you go along through it. And the particular little book that we're looking into is what is called the Songs of Ascent. Songs of Ascent. And um, so essentially, back in the day, back in Old Testament times, um, the, the Israelite people were required by Mosaic law to make pilgrimages up to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land, to ascend the hill of Mount Zion and go into the temple and worship God for these particular festivals. And so um, as they were doing that, over the years, these different songs were compiled and written and put together that they would sing. And so from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, you hear these songs, and they're songs of encouragement. They're, 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 they help these people as they ascended the hill and encouraged them in the Lord and spurred them on to continue on the path they were going for that particular pilgrimage that they were on. And so just real quickly, I want to read the psalm that we're going to be looking at. Psalm 131. It's only three verses. So be encouraged. I won't hopefully take too long because I'm only preaching on three verses. So Psalm 131, starting in verse 1, it says this. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And that's the whole psalm. And and, and before I dive into it, I kind of just wanted to read the psalm before it to kind of, again, give you some more context about what we're looking at this morning. The psalm before it is Psalm 130. And it says this. It's only seven verses. It says this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so I I believe God's word is inspired and inerrant. So, like, we don't know for sure if the people that were singing these songs as they ascended the hill were actually singing these psalms in in actual order from Psalm 120 to uh, 134. Um, But I believe that God compiled them and listed them in this way in the Bible that we have today for a purpose. 
And so the psalm before Psalm 131 is what scholars call a song of forgiveness, which is obvious, right? I just read it. It says stuff like, for the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, abundant redemption. And so how appropriate, then, that the following song that we're going to look at this morning is considered the song of humility. Because out of a response to the forgiveness, the great depthless forgiveness that we as sinners have been shown by a merciful God, right? Because of what Christ did and he came and he uh, became flesh and blood. He was God in perfection and he becomes icky flesh and blood like us and he lives this perfect life and then dies on the cross and then raises again three days later. And in doing that, he gives us the forgiveness and kind of fulfills this psalm. How awesome is it? And then our response to that then should be humility. And hence why we're going to look at this Psalm uh, 131. And I'm going to jump into the first verse. And we're just going to kind of walk through it. My goal is to try and keep it as simple as possible. Because remember, it's just a, it's a song. I don't want to overanalyze it. I don't want to, but I just want to shed light on it for you guys so that we can be encouraged by it this morning. And so let's go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and dive in. The first part of the first verse says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And also, just as a side note, and I forgot to mention this, this psalm was actually ascribed to David. They say that David wrote this psalm. Um, And so, as we're going through this, um, you're going to hear a lot of Davidic language. I believe that's what they call it. And um, so, yeah, the first part says, again, I'll read it again. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My heart is not haughty. My heart is not prideful. I am not arrogant. I have let go of my self-righteousness, my self-reliance. This psalmist is essentially saying that in response to the forgiveness and grace shown to me, I am letting go of my pride, Lord. This psalm is very personal and intimate. He's talking to God and he's saying, I have not lifted up my heart, Lord. I have no right to. Essentially, he's saying, I know my place. He knows that like it says in James 4, he agrees with James when he says, we are nothing but a vapor that appears for a little while and then we're gone. He knows his place. He has learned heartily that, uh, again, like James says, that God will resist the proud but will give grace to the humble. He'll give grace to those who humble themselves before the Lord. So he, he, knows, he knows who we are. And so for us, what do we do to know who we are rightly? On one end, we have to know ourselves rightly, right? So it's time to let go of our pride. It's time to let go of our self-reliance, you know, uh, We're Americans, you know, we're proud. It's time to let go of that, right? It's time for us to let go of the fact that, like, it's time to hold on to the fact that we can't do this on our own. We can't live our lives without Christ as the center, without God being at the centerfold of it. And when you're not doing that, you are living in in proud, arrogant self-reliance, self-righteousness. If you think that you're good enough, if you think that, you can do all things on your own. And, and honestly, maybe some of us don't even actually do this 
out loud, but we live like it. You know what I'm saying? We say, oh, I'm not self-reliant and self-righteous, but how often do we pray and talk to God and put our burdens on him? How often do we carry the burden on ourselves and go about our day and pretend like we're depending on the Lord when actually we're just depending on ourselves and we're wondering why God keeps failing us and letting us down? I also want to point out that this song of humility sometimes stings, right? Sometimes being humbled stings. Like, I spent all week preparing for this sermon, and it just stung me over and over and over again. So if I come off strongly, it's because I believe that that's what the text is doing, and I'm not trying to force it on you. I'm just, I'm just preaching the text, or at least I'm trying to, just as a, as a side. And so we're looking at this, and we're saying, my heart has not been lifted up. I'm actually dependent on the Lord. I'm letting go of my pride. I'm going to stop pretending like I'm depending on the Lord and actually start depending on him. And so essentially, uh, we, we learn to know ourselves truly for who we are. You know, we're, we're sinners, man. We're wicked. We stumble. We fall. We falter. And it's just kind of that's who we are, man. Uh, another way to do it also is to uh, compare yourself to God, not to the person sitting next to you, right? Not to the person that's, you know, I'm better than this guy. I don't know. That's easy. If you can do that. You can find flaws in everyone. But you can't find flaws in God. So if you want to be humbled, actually compare yourself to God sometimes. Sit down and be like, well, let's look at God's character, right? He's perfect. He's perfect in his justice. He's perfect in his love. Uh, you know, when I think of being perfect in the justice, I'm not perfect in my justice because I'm a dad and I discipline my children. And sometimes I discipline them wrongly. Sometimes I do it out of selfishness because they're just driving me nuts. God doesn't do that. Uh-oh, I've already failed, right? I should already be humbled. And so in order to get to a place where we can say with David, Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up, we need to compare ourselves to God, and we need to know ourselves rightly. We need to know who we are truly and let go of the pride that makes us look like we're puffed up and better than we actually are. The next part of the uh, psalm says this. My eyes are not raised too high. Essentially what this is saying is uh, how do you view others, right? How do you look at other folks? And again, we're going back to that previous psalm, the Psalm 130 that says, oh, just, just screams out God's glorious forgiveness of us. And in response to that, how do we view other people? How do we view people who are like the lowly in our community, the folks that maybe drink too much or the folks that make really dumb decisions and you can't help but just, oh, I can't believe they did that again. Like, how often do we do that? How often do we gossip about those folks in terms of let's pray for them? This is a prayer request, right? But let's sit and gab about them for an hour and then not actually pray, right? So how do you view other folks? By loving, exactly, yes. <laughs> um, and so as we're, as we're looking at this, we're looking at the first part, right? It says uh, we know ourselves, we rightly see ourselves, and then we rightly see others in light of God's grace, right? So we're not looking down on folks because we think they're better than, we're better than them because we're not. We're not looking down on people because they're Democrats. We're not looking down on people because they're Republicans, we're not looking down on people because they have different viewpoints and view systems than we do, right? 
Because at the end of the day, we're no better than them. We're on equal playing field, especially if you go back to the previous point where you compare yourself to God. Like, it's easy to look better than someone if you compare yourself to them. Pick anybody in this room, and for a while, get to know them, and you will at some point be better than them. Quotes, I'm using quotes, you're better than them, because you're not actually, right? And so a part, of, a part of responding to the great forgiveness we've been shown in Christ, we are not only truly knowing ourselves, but we're also seeing ourselves on an equal playing field as everyone else. We're no better than anyone else. We're throwing our pride out the window again. A quote I saw this week, uh, this week as I was preparing said, Pride has its seat in the heart, but betrays itself in the eyes. It's just, an, it's, just, it's just a reminder that, like, how are you viewing people? How are you looking at them? Are you better than them? And the ultimate example of this, obviously, is Jesus. And in Philippians, I thought I had bookmarked. There it is. In Philippians chapter 2, we see Christ as the ultimate example. I'm just going to read a few verses for you. It says this, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So we look at Christ as the ultimate example, and we see that Jesus, uh, he lowered himself and he humbled himself to the point where he was willing to die for wicked folks like us. And so in light of that, he gives us an example to live by. Not that we go out and die for folks, unless we have to, then yes, do that. But that we humble ourselves to the point where we're no longer looking at people as if, they're, as if we're above them. Because who has the actual right to do that? Jesus. He's God, right? He has every right to put his nose up to us and look down on us as if we're some pitiful little folk. Because we are. And he's not. He's perfection. But yet he doesn't. He humbles himself. And what a reminder for for us to do the same. And Jesus is that ultimate example. So I have let go of my pride in my heart. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not look down on folks. I am not any better than them, Lord. Remember, this is an intimate psalm. He's praying to the Lord. He's going, my heart isn't lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I'm not looking down on folks and pretending I'm better than them when I'm actually not. And the next part says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous. For me, you can look at this uh, in two ways. This last part of the first verse, I do not I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. On one end, you can look at it intellectually, right? Essentially, what the text is saying that I I do not try to grasp things that I'm not meant to grasp, especially in regards to the Lord. Like we can know a lot, but where there's a limit, right? 
Like, try and grasp the Trinity sometime. Try and explain it to someone, right? Like, some atheist dude's talking to you, and he's like, explain the Trinity. Just no matter what you do and how well you explain it, you're still going to look like a fool. Because it's a mystery, right? And so we're not fully meant to grasp these things. You know, how about the debate with, uh, you know, God's sovereignty versus man's free will, right? That's a touchy one. How do you reconcile that? It's a mystery because the Bible talks clearly about both, doesn't it? It does. And so, and so it's, it's humbling ourselves and realizing that, like, inside of God, we're not going to grasp everything. It's like it says in Isaiah where he says, As high as the heavens are from the earth are my thoughts from your thoughts, Lord. You are high above me in your thinking. I'm not going to grasp uh, what you're saying. And so from one end, we can look at it intellectually. We can realize that we're not meant to grasp these things. We're, remember, this is a song of humility. He's saying, I'm not going to get this. It's an acceptance of the mystery and being okay with it. Does that mean that we stop trying to understand? No, I think we should. I think we should try and grasp these things to the best of our abilities, but with a humble mindset that says, but at the end of the day, I'm not actually going to get it until glory. And I believe in glory. God's going to like snap his finger and we're going to be like, well, duh, I can't believe I didn't get it like that before, right? And so then on the other end, you can look at it intellectually, and on the other side, we can look at it like, um, I'm a big daydreamer. I daydream a lot. I remember when me and Stephanie lived in Chicago, and we were going to this giant church called Harvest Bible Chapel. James McDonald's church, he, uh, he was the uh, guy on the radio, Walking the Word. Walking the Word. You guys know the song. You're singing it now in your heads. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so... I remember sitting in this church and looking at James McDonald as he's preaching, and I'm just like, you know, someday that's going to be me. I'm going to write a bunch of books. I'm going to preach to thousands. I'm going to start a radio station. That's going to be me. And I'd sit and grasp and daydream at these things. And then I would wonder why I'm so discontent with the life I have. It was a blessed life. Like, we didn't have a lot in Chicago. That's the reason we kind of moved here, because we kind of were broke all the time, because it's expensive to live in Chicago. But I wasn't learning to be content in the present. I wasn't learning to be content with where God had me. Instead, I was sitting and daydreaming about something that I was never meant to have. Now, of course, I'm okay with that now. Praise the Lord, I'd been a terrible pastor back then, still now. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, is that, We learn to be content with where God has us now. We do not occupy ourselves with things that we're not meant to have. And it, or meant to have yet. Maybe. Maybe it'll happen. We don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that daydream that you have will eventually come to pass, right? But the point is, is we balance that always with a contentness in where the Lord has us. Because at the end of the day, we're, not, uh, we're trusting in Him. And we're trusting in God Himself. Right? If he has us where he has us and God is good and glorious as his word says he is, and he has placed me here where he has placed me, then God is good and glorious and faithful and I can trust him. Right? Right? And so again, the psalmist is saying, I will not occupy myself with these things. I will not, uh, I will accept the mysteries, right? And I will not aim for the sky in my head and I'll be content with where God has me now. And really the thing is, is this kind, of, this kind of thinking, this kind of daydreaming, and this kind of, it can lead to a discontentment, right? Like I said, and then it can lead to worry and anxiety. Because we're going to be, 
um, anxious about getting to that place. We're going to be anxious about, you know, how is God going to provide for me? How am I going to get to this point? And we can just, before you know it, you're just, and you're going nuts, right? And, of course, Jesus tells us, right, in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, he tells us not to be anxious about our lives, right? And then he goes on to describe this beautiful way that, like, okay, guys, the birds are taken care of. How much more worthy are you than the birds? I've got you, right? We humble ourselves. We know who we are, right, as in the first part of the verse. We know rightly who we are. We know who others are rightly in the sight of God, that we are no better than them. We look at them with equal lenses, if you will. We accept the mysteries of life, and we are content with where God has us. We're content with where he has put us, and we trust that he will provide for us. Because essentially worry and discontentment is another form of pride, right? And the opposite of pride is humility, hence why we're going through the song of humility. The next verse says, it's verse 2, But I have calmed and quieted my soul. When we look at this passage, when we look at this part of the, of the text, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Uh, in order for David to get to a point where he has calmed and quieted his soul, he kind of has to feel a little discomfort first, doesn't he? You know, there's this really good metal song I love listening to. I won't show it or sing it for you now because I'll scare you all out of here, but... Um, it essentially says I would not know what uh, comfort was until I first felt pain and what a truth that is. And so when we're looking at this, we're realizing that in order to calm and quiet our souls, we have to learn to say with James in chapter 1, verse 3, again, I'm going back to James. They call James the New Testament Psalms, so it's kind of appropriate. And in the first verse, in the third, or in the first chapter and the third verse, he says, count it all joy, brethren, when you face trials of various kinds. When it says trials of various kinds, it means trials of various kinds. You can't be specific. It can mean anything. Suffering, suffering financially, suffering physically, suffering by being persecuted, whatever it might be. We need to learn to count it all joy. And that's what it looks like. We, we learn to calm and quiet our, quiet our souls by learning to count it joy. When we suffer, it's okay to suffer. We can trust God. God will get us through it. He won't get us out of it or get us out of it right away because maybe he's trying to teach us a lesson, right? He's our father. He wants us to learn and grow. And sadly, we're stubborn and we need to learn by feeling a little pain. I have kids. Trust me, that's how it has to work. I spank my kids. They don't learn until I spank them, sadly. They're just as stubborn as their dad. So that's, that's just how it has to be. And so in the same way, we're the same way. We're just as stubborn. And so in order to learn to have this calm and quieted soul, quieted soul, we need to learn to count it all joy. We need to learn to suffer well and trust the Lord. Um, I was meeting with Eric this week as uh, I was preparing the sermon because he likes to help me out because he's awesome. Love Pastor Eric. And he, uh, you know, I was sitting there and I'm like, man, I'm trying to come up with this illustration for this, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. I can't come up with anything. And he laughed at me. Why is he laughing at me? And he's like, dummy, read the next part of the text. Right? I'm like, okay. So, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Bam, what a perfect illustration. 
right? The text is doing the work for me this morning. This is, this is easy. Doing all the work. It's great. And so a way we can shed light on this idea, again, of calm and quieting our souls, of um, being the type of people who are who know who we are, right? Know rightly who we are. Know who others are in light of who God is, right? Th- uh, thinking of the great forgiveness that Christ has shown us, like keeping that in the back of our heads, that like we've been forgiven of much, and our response is humility, a heart that is calmed, how we view others is equal, we're no better, right? We calm and quiet our souls in suffering. A, a really a great way to illustrate it is by being like children, right? And the Bible talks about us being like children a lot. Um, and so there's two ways you can go about this. Like the weaned child, right? There's two ways. The first approach, and as I was studying, I... Uh, as I was studying, I uh, found that there are two different approaches that people went about explaining the weaned child portion of this text. And the first approach, um, I'll explain like this. Uh, when Stephanie, uh, when our children were just little itty-bitty babies, my wife breastfed, right? And uh, she, the, the baby would be crying and flailing around, screaming discontent. And then mom would grab her, latch her on, and she'd be quiet right away. And then at the end, uh, she'd pull the baby off. And I always remember this look. All of our kids did it. They'd like kind of like get off, and they just, uh. and they were out, and they were full, and they were content, and they were quiet. It was a miracle, and it was awesome, right? And so one approach to this, like a weaned child, is a child who has been filled and is full and is content in mommy's arms, right? So like, I look at it like, okay. He has calmed and quieted his soul, and he's become like a weaned child. He's become like a f- child who has been filled on what? He's been filled on the Lord and who the Lord is. And what better way to get to know the Lord and be filled in him by, than by reading his word, right? By getting to know him. Uh, God is awesome. He takes care of us. He doesn't ju- like, yes, there's mystery, but he doesn't just leave us in the mystery, right? He puts Uh, a lot about himself in this book, and he just gives it to us, especially in this time and day and age that we live in. We get it so freely. We're super blessed. And so pick up your Bibles and get to know God. It will humble you, especially if the Spirit's working in you. It'll humble you straight up. And so that's the first approach. You can look at a weaned child. It's a child that's been filled and is content and quiet and good to go. Uh, The other way you can approach it is... um, you know, how, probably how most folks would approach it when you think of a child who's been weaned. It's a child that's been like, is done drinking breast milk and has like grown up and doesn't need it anymore. And so when, another way you can look at it is that, you know, our souls have been calmed and quieted and we have grown to the point where we no longer look at God like kids for a time look at mommies. Okay, for a time when the baby is first born and new mommies, pay attention. Okay, I'm looking at you too. This is what's going to happen. For a few months, that kid is just going to look at you as a milk-producing, diaper-changing rocking chair. That's all you will be to it. There's just no getting around it. 
And so at first, when we first begin this relationship with the Lord, we look at God and all we want is what he can give us. And we're not looking at God himself. Because eventually what happens is, is my, you know, like my, my son Zach is uh, he's about to turn six in a few days, which is awesome. He's going to be six, growing up fast. And he's finally getting to that point where like he just doesn't view us as his like providers. He actually, sometimes he'll come up to me and he'll hug me and he'll squeeze me super hard and he'll be like, Daddy, I love you. Right? I love, I love that. I hug him back. I'm like, I love you too, man. Awesome. And so in one sense, we can look at this and go, uh, as we grow in the Lord, as we learn to humble our hearts, as we learn to stop looking down on others as if we're better, if we learn to uh, accept the mysteries of life and be content with where God has us, right, we grow and we become content in God himself. We learn to love God and not love God for what he can give us, right? Exactly. Uh, another passage that talks about uh, childlike faith is found in Matthew. Oh, there it is. And Matthew 18, this is Jesus speaking, and it says this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, this is what it means to have childlike faith, right? It's not that, like, he didn't, like, pick that kid and was like, this kid's super innocent, right? I haven't done anything wrong. Unless you become like this child and are perfectly innocent, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he meant. What he actually meant is is that like children, because let's be straight, um, if I, you know, my oldest son, again, is, he's about to turn six. If I were to kick him out of the house today, would he survive on his own? No, not even for a second. He'd come kicking on the door, screaming two seconds later. Oh, yeah. The kid can barely get his own pants buttoned up. I still have to help him do that, right? And so what he means in this passage is that we become like children in the sense where we humbly accept the fact that we can't provide for ourselves. Because like kids, kids for the most part, and as they get older, it gets tougher because they become independent. But for the most part, they are humbly dependent on the fact that they cannot survive without mommy and daddy. And so Jesus is calling us, and this psalm is calling us to, like children, accept the fact that we can't do this by ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. We need God. And then the last part of the psalm. The last verse. And so, so far we've been looking at it. And the first two verses are this intimate, personal conversation between David and God. And he's saying what? He's saying, oh, my heart has not been lifted up. I have let go of my pride, Lord. I have let go of my self-reliance. I am dependent on you in my heart. I can't do anything without you. I am no longer looking down on folks as if I am better than them. I am letting go of my pride. I am letting go of my arrogance. I am learning to become like a child, Lord. I am learning to be weaned, and I'm learning to grow, and I'm learning to find my satisfaction in you, Lord, right? And then it switches, right? In verse 3, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So it goes from a super deeply intimate personal conversation to a corporate, hey, people, hope in the Lord, right? 
hope in the Lord. Like children who are dependent on their mother and put their hope in them to survive, we need to do the same. We need to realize and see that we as a congregation, that we as a people need the Lord. And we need to hope in him. We need to find our strength in him. We need to see that just that he's awesome, right? God is so faithful, right? I, I can't count the times that I have been a complete and utter idiot, a complete and utter failure to my family, to my kids, to my fellow coworkers, right? And God in his faithfulness has still lifted up my head and said, come on, try again. I got you. I got you, son. Right? So we can put our hope in that. And not just in that, the fact that Christ became, again, the gospel, right? He became flesh, and he came down, and he humbled himself to the point of death. He came and died on the cross to save us. We can put our hope in that. We can be reminded daily of the gospel, and we can, it can humble us if we allow it to. And so a couple things I thought about as I close out. And I went over, I apologize. As I close out, a um, couple of thoughts I had for, like, what do we do with all this, right? What, how do we begin to become a people who are humbled by the great forgiveness that the Lord has shown us? Uh, there's three very basic things that Christians need to do to grow. Three principles, if you will. And you all know them, right? Read the word. Pray, fellowship. And by fellowship, I don't mean, you know, coming to my house after church to eat dinner, though you are more than welcome to do that. But fellowship goes deeper than that. Fellowship is talking to each other, confessing sin to each other. How often do we do that? Being the type of folks who are real and honest and loving and forgiving towards those around us because we're all in this boat together. Right? So my encouragement for you is that as we have looked at this song, this beautiful song, very short song, hope I didn't take too long to explain it, but um, that, that we would be encouraged and challenged to humble ourselves. That this morning you would be reminded that Christ has forgiven you greatly. He has. He's forgiven me greatly. See yourself for who you are, a sinner in need of a Savior, even if you're saved, you're still a, sa- a sinner in need of a Savior. Daily, we need him, we need him. And be reminded of that. Also, stop looking down at people, right? You know, and I'm mostly talking to myself because I'm guilty of it, man. When I first came back to Big Sandy, I was a cocky, arrogant little jerk who thought I was better than everyone else. And it took God putting me back in my hometown to slowly humble me. I'm not saying I'm perfect now. I'm still a pretty arrogant jerk most of the time. But he has humbled me a lot here, and it's been awesome, right? And so I need to remind myself, and I need to remind all of us to stop looking down on folks. We're not better. We're all on equal playing fields here, right? And then also we need to accept the mysteries of life. We need to accept that God has us where he has us. And then we need to trust in him that he's going to provide. Not just that he's going to provide, but that he's there and present with us. And continue to grow in your relationship with him. Get to know him. Read the word. Pray and talk to God. Find your satisfaction in him. It won't happen right away, but it will happen. Slowly but surely. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer.
and you guys will be dismissed. Let's go before the Lord. <clears throat> Father God, we just, uh, we just thank you for your word, Lord, that we can open it up, that we can just see your heart, and we can see, Lord, that we are a people who have been forgiven greatly and who need uh, you. And that, that we can look at a song that screams humility and we can be reminded that the proper response to great forgiveness, the great forgiveness that you have given us, is to be humbled, to let go of ourselves, to let go of the pride and just come and run into your love and embrace. Bless this week. Help us to uh, just grow in you. Help us to depend on you. Help us to go to you for the big and small things, Lord. I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.